Hey guys, and welcome to a brand new episode of Nerds Talk Movies. My name is Taylor, and I'm going to be your host today. Joining me for the first time in a long time, we have our resident Doc Brown himself, Mr. Drew Garrison. Drew, you and I haven't spoken for a while, alright? We're not going to get into it. I'm not going to tell you Happy New Year and all that, but you and I have not like actually talked since last year I we know. recorded some content to go into this year so we could have a good little break we're officially back now we're getting into the swing of things and we've had a goal at the beginning of the year we were like okay so at the beginning of the year we're going to try to cover some stuff that we've always wanted to cover and one of those movies is a bona fide fucking classic called Back to the Future. So you saw the title, listeners. You know the deal. Today we're talking about Back to the Future. Here's a synopsis for this movie, courtesy of IMDb. Quote, Marnie McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the maverick scientist, Doc Brown. End quote. And here are some of the main cast for the film, along with director and writer credits. Again, this is coming from IMDb. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis. It was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. It stars Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly, Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown, Leah Thompson as Lorraine Baines, Crispin Glover as George McFly, Tom Wilson as Biff Tannen, and Claudia Wells as Jennifer Parker. Lastly, movies and TV shows are driven by more than just a director, writers, and a cast. There are hundreds, sometimes thousands, of people who are working hard on each project. So, for each movie or show we cover, we also want to spotlight either a certain group of the crew or a specific crewmate, depending on what we think is the movie or show's best trait. Cast members not included in our main cast sections are also eligible to be selected for this part too. I could decide to cheat on this one, Drew, and I can go with Michael J. Fox because of all the craziness <laughs> that went into not only him getting the role, but also him filming the movie, which ultimately ended up in a stellar performance. But I'm not going to cheat on this very serious and uber-professional podcast that we have here. So, oh, yes. I'm going to go with composer Alan Silvestri for, well, <laughs> obvious reasons, man. I mean, this score fucking slaps, and it's iconic. Who are you going with, Drew? Or what group of the crew are you going with? Uh, Honestly, the set crew, because this set is awesome. I know it's not like completely said, like they did film on location, but they did change a lot of stuff for it. Like gra like um graphics, signs, and all that other stuff. So I, I need to give it to the set crew because they did a good job with capturing uh the with capturing the nineteen fifties. So Yeah, I definitely agree. It's one of those things to where I'm gonna say the word iconic a lot. The sets are iconic, the score's iconic, like just this movie, period, is just evergreen. It's something that just it feels like it's going to live on forever. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think the set design is a big reason behind that. Uh, getting into this prelude, though, what is there to say? 
that hasn't been said already. The script was rejected countless times. They cast Eric Stoltz as Marty, only to realize that Stoltz didn't fit their vision for the character partially through filming, and they were somehow able to nab Michael J. Fox to replace Stoltz. Oh, and Michael J. Fox was filming Family Ties at the same time, so he had to film both Back to the Future and Family Ties back to back. Wow. It would have been a miracle for this movie to just be good. But nah, this ended up becoming a bona fide classic. Also, if you're wanting to learn more about the making of Back to the Future, highly recommend the show on Netflix called Movies That Made Us. There's an episode on Back to the Future, and it's very entertaining to watch. Regardless, I don't really know how to get into this, because the thing is, is it's difficult for these kind of movies to me. Because there's not a whole lot for us to dive into. Yeah, this mo- this movie is a popcorn flick. It's just fun. That is the whole point of it. It's to have fun, use time travel creatively, like have a bit of nostalgia for the 1950s while realizing how far we've come. Yeah, it that's exactly what it is. It's you know what? Let's go ahead and get into our general thoughts here. General thoughts for me, and then I'll just let you go. This movie's awesome. Its performances are fantastic. Its story is great. Are there nitpicks to it? Sure. I think any movie could have nitpicks to it. No movie is absolutely 10 out of 10 perfect. Even though we say a movie's 10 out of 10, you can find a flaw somewhere. This movie's as close to a 10 out of 10 masterpiece as I think you can get. It really is. Nowadays, there's talk of, will there be a Back to the Future 4, or will they ever remake it? No, you shouldn't, because you can't top this. There's nothing you can add to this. There's nothing you can bring to the table that will make it worth doing another Back to the Future movie. Yeah, also the reason like Back to the Future works so well is because they're technically time capsules of the different time periods that they're in. If you want to, if you really wanted to do a sequel to Back to the Future, you would make it set in Back to the Future Two, the future of Back to the Future Two, and uh, I think we're living it. So no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think you, I think we're good with Back to the Future just being this classic that we can go back watch. And if you ever hear about it being in theaters and playing in IMAX, it's like you just go and do it, even though those cameras were not IMAX, so you're overpaying. What are your general thoughts on this movie, man? It is amazing. Like, honestly, a lot of... Honestly, when I think about Back to the Future, I think this is like the perfect time travel movie. We talk about time travel and how it's done pretty badly. This is a good time travel movie. It sticks to its time travel rules. It It is like a really good movie of showing what... uh how your li- How your life can change. But also, like, you don't really know your parents that well because there's a big chunk of their life you missed out on. You know them as mom and dad. There's a good um, lesson on how to deal with bullies. There's a good lesson on standing up for yourself. It is fun as heck. It's a good lesson on dealing with rejection. Oh, yeah, that too. Like, the funny for, the, the funny part is, is, like, while Bad to the Future is a popcorn flick and it is up there with, like, the classics of Jurassic Park and the way that when you're doing a podcast like this and you're trying to make like an hour long podcast, there's not a whole lot for us to really dive into. But the funny part is, is 
both Marty and George go through the same arc in this movie, and you kind of miss it sometimes when you watch it, because you're just so caught up in how fun the film is and George's arc that you forget that Marty goes through the same thing. That yeah. the beginning of the movie, he's being told, like, you're never going to be anything, and he doesn't know how to deal with rejection, so he never tries. And it was the same thing with George. So whenever George stands up for himself, it motivates Marty. So both characters are now changed by the end of the movie. It's actually really well done. And I think it's an underrated part of the film because nobody ever talks about it. I also love the fact that Marty is saying to George everything Marty wants to say to himself. And by helping George stick up for himself, Marty inadvertently is helping George mold him in reverse. It's like this really cool father-son dynamic that is also like a best friend dynamic because Marty is the same age as his father in this movie. So it's like they understand each other a lot better than a father. Well, not better, but it's like differently than a normal father-son dynamic can have. So it's just, it's really, it's really cool to see how it plays out. It's like, I, I call this a popcorn flick, but it is deeper than a lot of people also give credit for. Yeah, to an extent, I would agree, but at the end of the day, when the movie's over, it just feels like a complete experience, and it feels like something that you could just walk out of a theater, walk out of your room after watching, and go like, man, that was so much fun, and you're just going to remember it. And it's not in the same way that I think you're going to remember like the darker, like Oscar-worthy things that are like, oh yeah, that's uh, trying to make you think as an audience member. It's just there to be like, hey, here's the story. We're going to have a fun time, and then we're getting out of here. Now, granted, there's two sequels to this that I think everybody would agree, or at least a lot of people would agree, are not as good as the first one. They're still really good movies. Yeah. It's like you can't really step, but, you can't really like step up to perfection. It's like the first one yeah. is perfection. Although the second one has a place in many people's hearts, be main, mainly um, because of all the memes that have spawned from it. Yeah, and I think the third one is probably the least well-liked, but still pretty decently liked out of the three. But the point I'm trying to make is, like, this movie has a beginning, middle, and end, and while it's sequel baits, it's not that big a deal. The words, if we never get it back to the future, too, yeah, that would suck, but at the same time, at least Marty's life changed for the better. Also, it's one of the best sequel baits literally ever. It's like just yes. Doc coming back in the De in the DeLorean shows that he's improved the process, and then it's like that final line where we're going, we don't need roads, and it's like, oh, that's just so good. I want to go to the performances though, Drew, because we talked about Marty McFly and George McFly already. Them getting Michael J. Fox, and this is not a shot to Eric Stokes. Michael J. Fox is the reason this movie is legendary. With all due respect to Christopher Lloyd, he's amazing in this movie, and we're going to talk about him and Michael J. Fox and their chemistry. But without Michael J. Fox here, this movie just does not work. I agree. It's like he, he brings the movie around, and it's it's like he has this charm and distinct way of bringing Marty to life that it just it really feels like you've got a great... It really feels like that you're walking through another person's life. It's like, sometimes you'll even forget you're watching Michael J. Fox. You just think, oh, that's Marty McFly. It gives the movie heart. 
mm-hmm. to me. As a character, I don't really care that much about George. And that's not anything to Crispin Glover, the writing. But Marty makes me care. Because I really am rooting for Marty. Because Michael J. Fox does such a great job in this movie. And by that, Crispin Glover can do his thing by playing this geeky version of his dad. And he's more endearing to me. Because now I care. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to get into Christopher Lloyd, and I felt like I was kind of just taking a shot at Christopher Lloyd by being like, oh yeah, Michael J. Fox is a star. Dude, the chemistry between Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox is they unprecedented. It. it is absolutely 10 out of 10 masterpiece. This is what you want out of two main leads who are supposed to be friends. And we don't know how they became friends or how they, like, they never really go into anything other than the principal going, oh, you're still hanging out with that scientist? Oh, man, he's a quack. And that's it. I don't I don't even need it. I just like their connection. It feels like both of them get a small thing out of the other, and they both do care for each other. So it's like, I'm yeah. fine with it. I like it. And Christopher Lloyd, I think he brings a level of energy in a similar way as we would see 10 years later with something like Seinfeld with Kramer. Whereas in that show, you needed a character like Kramer to give the show something a little wacky. Yeah. Doc Brown's that thing that the audience can just latch on to and be like, man, he's fucking nuts. But I love it. Mm-hmm. I think that I think there's always something interesting about a mad scientist. It's like just the thought of this person who goes against the norms and you don't know what they're going to come up with, but you like seeing how they act, how they process the world and how they interact with like just normal people like Marty and Marty being the only person who like believes in Doc. It's like it's like this nice wholesome connection. In a way, I think Marty kind of goes for um goes to goes to Doc for like a father connection that's different from what he has with his father, who he feels like just doesn't stand up for himself, and Marty wants to stand up for him. And then you have this guy who just doesn't care what other people say. He's doing his own thing and making cool inventions and stuff. It's like I feel like Marty latches on to that as a, a teenager trying to find his way. Yeah, I completely agree. And you said like Doc is somebody who doesn't really fit in the normal society, uh, roundabout way. <laughs> uh, but I think that's also Marty. I think that's a kind of way that they don't spell it out for you, but both of them are kind of outsiders. Yeah, that's true. The both of them are kind of outsiders and you can kind of see like read between the lines and be like, okay, I can see how they be friends. And again, we don't have to know how they became friends. We don't need a flashback. It's the writing of this is so good and the acting from Fox and Lloyd are so good that you believe it. You believe that they're friends. And that's another reason I do not want a remake and I do not want a sequel because they're going to do exactly what they've been doing with every other movie regardless of studio and explain stuff that doesn't need to be explained. We do not need to know why he chose a DeLorean for the car. We do not need to know how they met. (laughs) That's exactly what they would do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do a whole 30-minute explanation of Wiles of DeLorean. A uh, big flashback sequence of how the two met. Yeah, it would... It, we, just, we just don't need any of that. It's like, we got we have the story we want. 
It is a great story. We don't even need a remake. No updated effects or nothing. It's it's just perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. How do you feel about the performances overall? I've kind of been taking up all the conversation here. Well, I've been waiting for this because I just needed to talk about Christopher Lloyd because he acts his butt off in this movie. And oh my God, he brings Dr. Emmett Brown to freaking life. He like brings it into reality, man. It's like you just, I just love the physical acting, how he just maneuvers with every bit of shock and everything. You can tell why people think this guy is a quack job. You, just from the way he moves, you don't even need the giant helmet. <laughs> but uh, you like just love the way he moves, the way he talks, the way he like just accentuates himself. It's like so freaking good. And then you also, and then you also have Michael J. Fox, who is Marty, and it's like you can tell, like, yeah, this is a teenager trying to hold in his emotions, but it's like he's also letting his emotions run what he's doing. It's just so good. It's perfect. And I also love um, Tom Wilson, and apparently, I didn't know, I didn't realize this, but uh, apparently, Biff's original name was Thomas Wilson, so. <laughs> That that was honestly that was honestly pretty fun to find out, but uh, yeah, yeah. But the guy who plays Biff, it's like, how do you take something as the stock bully that you've seen in a million times and somehow still make it just so unique and iconic and different from everything else, including things that try to just use Biff as a source? It's like, why don't you make like a tree? And get out of here. And you just, you all know the saying. You know it. It's like for a long time, people thought that was the original saying. <laughs> because no, because uh, because people didn't know the, what the original saying was. And then it's like, no, it's, why would you make like a tree and leave? And then it's like the awe thing. It's just like, Biff is just such a good, a good antagonist in this movie. You, you hate him. Yeah. You love to hate him. And it's just like, he takes the stock bully and he makes it unique you like you like the stock bully bit and his comeuppance you just love the comeuppance and i agree with you i I think tom wilson does an exceptional job as biff tannen uh (laughs) i think this is what he's always gonna be known for and rightfully so he's been in some other things that i've seen most notably for me dc's legends of tomorrow he plays nate's dad in a really good role, but still, even then, I couldn't help but think, like, oh, no, that's Biff. Yeah. There's some performances that are just like that, right? There's some characters, like Joffrey Baratheon. I feel so bad for that actor. I really do. Because no matter what he does in his career, he's going to be known as Joffrey Baratheon. He did such a good job. And I think it's the same thing with Tom Wilson. Where Tom Wilson, no matter what he did in his career, people are going to go, oh, yeah, that was Biff Tannen. Yeah, it's it's just how it it's just how it goes. Now, originally, I did not know that Tom Wilson was also a voice actor, and then now that I know that and I remember some of the stuff he's been in, it's like the guy gets around. He ha- it's like he has a lot of voice acting credits. It's like wow. Yeah. Now we could talk about a lot of the fun moments, and we'll talk about a lot of the fun moments and our favorite moments here in a bit. But I want to talk about the time travel. Time travel is a tricky thing in movies. It's a tricky thing in television. I think this movie does a great job with its time travel because I don't think it... When you're doing it, I think you have to either 
plan out your time travel rules and stick to it. Or you do what Back to the Future did, and you just don't think about it all that much. What I think a lot of movies and shows do, and where they falter, and where people go, and like, oh, now I hate time travel, is they'll come up with a rule, and then they just won't follow through with it. They'll go against it. So the audience goes like, no, this is fucking stupid. So with Back to the Future, while it's not perfect, I think it's one of those things that the rest of the movie, and I think you could also say that about the sequels as well, they do a great job of like propping the movie up above like some of the flaws in the time in the time travel rules. But for the most part, I have no issues with time travel in this movie. I think it was handled very well. Yeah. I honestly, th- I honestly agree with you on those time travel, uh, mechanics and everything, but, um, I more or less agree with the former where it's like you stab, you like follow your rules. My whole thing is like, you don't always have to like tell the audience the rules, you know, the rules, you follow it, and it's like, then you get, then you know, like, how it's going to work out. That's how the original two Terminators work. You had no, you didn't really know how the time travel rules worked. All you knew, all you knew was that it could happen. And then it's, and then in Terminator 2, it's like, it fills in, it fills in the final piece for you, the audience, to get, it's like, oh, it's a time, it's a time loop. You can't really change anything. This was always meant to happen. And Back to the Future, it's like, okay, here are the established, here are the established rules we got. Time travel is possible. You need to go 88 miles per hour, and you also need, and you also, um, you can change the future, but you are affected by said change. That's it. That is the time travel rules. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty damn simple. Nothing yeah. to really go, especially for what this movie is, which we said at the top of the show, it's a popcorn flick, and this is not a shot to it. And when we say popcorn flick nowadays, I think it has a connotation like it's, Oh, like a Fast and Furious movie. No, see, Popcorn Flicks previous to Fast and Furious movies and those kind of action films weren't like that. They didn't have the connotation. They just weren't taking themselves too seriously. They cared more about the story and the characters. Exactly. Else. So, yeah, man. I, I think it's a thing where they do a great job with the time travel. Uh, an example, just to throw it out there, of planning it out and sticking to the rules. I'll always say the 12 monkeys TV show is the best example of time travel I've ever seen Hmm. because they literally, uh, I believe that they planned it out from the jump and knew exactly what they're going to do from the get go, which is a fantastic way to go about it. Instead of something like, for example, CW's the flash. (laughs) Don't, don't even get me started on the, (laughs) So many time travel rules broken, and they break them in the same episode they establish them. And when they set them up, you go like, man, that's a cool idea. Just stick with it, and we have a good concept here. And then they break it later, and you're just more frustrated. Yeah. Because now you're going like, okay, nothing matters. And now there's another Earth, so yeah, nothing really matters in this show. Unless an actor wants to leave, then all of a sudden then we can't bring an alternate variant into the show. Yep. So that's what I'm saying. Like, a Back to the Future, it doesn't go into like convoluted BS like The Flash. It doesn't go into meticulously planning it out and getting uber serious like 12 Monkeys, the TV show. But still, it's somewhere in the middle where it's like, hey, you know what? Here's the rules. Don't worry about it too much. 
we want you to care about Marty McFly. Yeah. Getting back to his time. That's it. By the way, by the way, if you want another um good time travel series, it is a very short series. It is animated. It's called Steins Gate. Would highly recommend, Taylor. I have heard that. So I would definitely need to check that out. But what do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about um Marty interacting with the young Doc. Because as much as I love Marty interacting with his father, I like how Marty interacts with the young um young Doc Brown before. It's really because it's like it really is shows how much Marty does look up to him when he's talking to him and telling him about like time travel, everything. And um, also how Marty just really wants to save his life. It's like, it's because it's always hanging over you. It's like, Oh yeah. The night Marty took the DeLorean and traveled back to the future was the same, was the same night that doc died and it hangs over Marty and Doc refuses to listen to him because of possible changes to the timeline. And Marty just like, it's like this huge heavy heart thing when you're going into the finale. Knowing that whether Marty succeeds or not, it's a possibility that we won't see Doc again. And it's so freaking sad. And it's so freaking sad. And I love Marty just ca- trying to come up with a million different ways of trying to save him. But also their connection in the past is really interesting because you see like the sparks of what we saw in the beginning of the show. I mean, not show, <laughs> movie. In the beginning of the movie, it's like the way that they connect, the way that Marty believes in him, the way the way that they kind of bounce off each other. It's just, ah, uh, it's so good. I love this friendship between them. It's really good. Yeah, it makes you kind of feel like they were going to be friends regardless of the time. Yeah. It's just one of those things that their personalities and their just their chemistry together, you're like, okay, I get it. Like I buy in 100% to their friendship. To where Morty goes back in time to a younger Doc, and Doc has to buy into the fact that he built this time machine whenever Morty gives him, like, oh... I know that you just came up with the idea for the flux capacitor. So he doesn't have, it's kind of like the thing to make a comparison with something more recent. I guess you can kind of compare it a little bit to Thanos with Endgame. But the problem I think in Thanos and Endgame is he has no personality that the Infinity War version had. And that's why I think a flaw of that movie is. Whereas Back to the Future, you still have Doc's personality the whole time. And you get a connection with Doc and Marty. It's not the exact same as it is in the 1985 present day. But it wouldn't be because they're you, closer like in you age said, now. It's the sparks. It's the sparks that you're like, okay, I see where the friendship basically started. Like, yeah. This is where they would be if they just became friends a week ago. Uh, but moving on here, getting into the general stuff that I assume every review and every retrospective or reaction gets into with Back to the Future. 1955 itself. Seeing what we see in 1985, what this world's like, and then going to that past, and seeing the mayor, by the way, working in a diner. And you wonder also how he became mayor in 1985 in the OG timeline. Oh, yeah. When in this one, Marty gives him the idea. So I'm like, so does he just come up with the idea like later in life? I guess and so. decide to run for mayor, and he just gets it earlier 
because of Marty in this one? Like that that would be my idea. Like he was just like he like that was my thought process. It's like, okay, so something else happened to make him mayor, but now he decides to be mayor earlier and everything, and that's how it happens. Yeah. But see, it's moments like that that I think really make this movie memorable. Yeah. Seeing how the world has changed and how it hasn't. Like Strickland, again, bringing up the principle. Hasn't changed at all. <laughs> There's a moment where Marty goes like, damn, did he ever have a, any hair? <laughs> he's I love that. In the past too. I love that so much. So, yeah, those moments where you're seeing how the past really was compared to how you were told it was or how you see it in 1985, it's really fun to see. From those moments with the mayor and the diner to with Strickland to Lorraine. All those things are really well done. Like, Lorraine isn't talked about enough either in this movie. Like, Leah oh, Thompson yeah. does a great job. Like, I think she's ever shattered because of Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Well, also, I think, but, like, the one thing the one thing with Lorraine is that throughout the movie, it's like she, it, she's, like, has um, some feelings. Oh, she's down bad. Toward, <laughs> yeah, she's down bad for Marty, and it's like, Oh, there's that awkward feeling of, that's his mom. <laughs> it's like, luckily no Oedipus complex here, but at the same time, it's like, ooh. It's just that nerve, neck-pulling uh Yeah, it's, it's nerve-wracking. And also, at the same time, Leah Thompson's doing such a good job in her performance. I mean, it's like, damn, she's down bad. Like, okay, I can see how George pulled this off. Yeah. It's like so it's like she it's like when she when she falls, she falls. She falls well. Uh but yeah. I do but it's like she is really interesting as well as a character because it's like you see what she wants through life and you see like um why she's so angry in the future. It's like how you can connect the dots of how she ended up this way and everything. It's like, yeah, it's like no wonder she wants her children to like stay away from these certain personality traits because those were hers and she hates them now and then you see in the future that the new future where everybody's lives are better except for Biff's that she has a complete different outlook on not only Marty but also Jennifer let's talk about our favorite moments because I feel like but hold on. can I do one thing about George real quick go ahead I just wanted to get on to his final form and everything when we see him as an adult with the kids and everything it's like it's really cool to see how nonchalant george is like being confident has changed him for the better but it hasn't changed him changed him he's still a nice guy through and through it's like he wants the best for his kids but he's also and he's also like he's it's like he's not helicopter dad or anything he's not like spineless and he's still just doing what he did in the original timeline only he's more successful at it he's just making a life for his family Yeah, he's a dork. He's a confident dork, and I love him. He decides to, because of the arc that Marty and George both go through, that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast here, that Marty teaches George, like, hey, stand up for yourself. Don't worry about rejection. Just go for it. And then he finally goes for it. And we see the outlook. Like, he's become a successful writer. He got the woman of his dreams. Like, he won. And then you see with Marty, George did the same thing for him. 
and we would see he has a different arc in the last two movies, but I can't really blame the sequels for that because you got to come up with something at that well, point because you already put through, Marty through an arc in the first one that he completed. Yeah. Also, like I don't blame the sequels with the way they went because technically we're not dealing with the Marty of the new timeline because this Marty doesn't fully remember everything. It's like he'll, he only remembers yeah. his original life, so having him go through the arc of him... Becoming the Marty of the new timeline, it's like that's pr- that's a really um cool way of having Marty go through his stuff and everything. And also, like I list, I love the callbacks and everything that the se- that the sequel does because they're dip because they're done for a different reason. It's like now it's like okay, it's Marty needing to like finally go through the final bits of his arc that weren't completed in the original movie. See, I'd argue it is, and they gave him another character arc entirely. Hmm. To where okay. he dealt with rejection, or dealt with his fear of rejection. To where it's now him learning to, hey, I don't have to be the hero in every situation. I don't have to be the guy to stand up in every situation and, you know, again, be the hero. To whereas we see throughout the sequels... It's that, hey, nobody calls me chicken. I think the reason Marty's like that is because of exactly what you were saying. This is the old OG timeline Marty. That the way his dad is, is this spineless coward. Hmm. So he wants to be the opposite of that. Yeah. So it's two very good arcs that Marty goes through throughout the trilogy. But it's one of those to where I think it's two separate arcs, if that makes sense. It felt yeah. to me they completed this movie, added on a sequel bait at the end, went like, all right, well, we got, shit, we got to come up with something for Marty to do. We got two more movies. We can't just have him doing stuff for no reason. So they came <laughs> up with the nobody calls me chicken thing, which I think works with the character that they created in the first movie. So It also has a Mandela Yeah, it also has a Mandela effect, because I swore that the nobody calls me chicken came for the first movie. And then it's like, you, and it's like, I remember, oh yeah, that's the second movie. I honestly think that's a lot of stuff with Back to the Future because the, cause I remember people always talk about the hoverboard scene. And it's like, oh yeah, Back to the Future 2 was pretty, did have that. And they're like, no, that's the first one. And it's like, the first one takes place back during 1955. <laughs> it's like, I think yeah, like the two movies. All the callbacks are... to him skateboarding through the town square. It's done so many times that they just blend together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is it's really funny, but it's really cool at the same time. I love it. Yeah, but getting into our favorite, least favorite moments. What are your favorite mo- moments from this movie, man? Well, obviously the skateboard scene. <laughs> like we we just talked, we just like we talked about everything. The skateboard scene, love it. Uh, love the lightning, love the lightning bolt scene. Like them getting back to the past, and also uh, favorite scene first meeting younger Doc. It's like, I'm going to cap it at those three, otherwise I'm going to keep going on and on. But those three are, like, my fa- uh, my favorite um, scenes overall. What about you? It's so hard for me to... I just want to say the whole movie. I know, so right? Good, I'm going to say the intro. Okay. The ending with Doc and Marty trying to jumpstart jump the uh, DeLorean. I wanted to say the Mandalorian for some reason. 
Uh, <laughs> it's no longer the DeLorean. It's the Mandalorian. Marty, what have you done? The Mandalorian. I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I know it's stupid, but I just think it's so ridiculous that it's fun. The Johnny Be Good scene. Oh, uh, you know what? You're right. It's so ridiculous that it's fun. It's it's not Michael J. Fox singing, or I, I don't even think it's him like doing the guitar either, even though I think Michael J. Fox did play the guitar at one point. Oh, but yeah. at the same time, it's it's just, you know it's not him. But it's him finally getting the chance to go all out. Yeah. And it's at that point where George finally stood up for himself. And Marty finally got the chance to face the possible rejection. And when he was ultimately rejected by the students because he went too far, he was fine with it. Yeah, and I just love the line. I just love the line. It's like, I guess you guys aren't ready for that. But your kids are going to love your it. Your kids will. <laughs> yeah, your kids are going to love it. That was great. But, yeah, man, I would say those were probably my three favorite moments in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I know we're reaching the end, but I did want to talk about one other thing, and this is kind of like with the Back to the Future franchise as a whole. I love the uh, movie posters that they made for this thing. Especially as they're all kind of the same poster, we're just constantly adding yeah. a new character. But they're creative. That's the funny part. Like, you look at movie posters today, and they're so uncreative and just like, go look at the Madam Web poster. Anybody listening, Drew, whenever this podcast is ever, go look at the Madam Web poster, and you're gonna look at it and be like, I could have done that in five minutes. So anyway, why don't you just hire me? Yeah, I think and I've seen. You look I think at I've the seen Back it. Future one. It's so simple, but it but speaks it volumes. Yeah, and yeah, I re- it's it just like you said, it, it speaks volumes. Like it's really well done yeah and i re- and i remember um the madam what the madam web poster by the way it's like yeah it's like oh that's spider-man poster number 149 thank you yep that's exactly what it is this really feels like a podcast episode where we're just like they don't make them like this anymore <laughs> kind of but it's like at the same time it's like uh, the repetition kind of makes it hard not to it's very important for us to note that we're not saying that there's not awesome movies or 10 out of 10s or classics nowadays. Hell, man, we talk about everything over or all at once all the time. Love that movie. <laughs> Same. I talk about the nice guys all the time. I think that's a top tier movie. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of other amazing recent films as well. Oh, yeah. It's something where you're seeing this constant stream, and I think it's also because of where we are now, where we have Netflix and Hulu and Max and Peacock and Paramount Plus, and I'm trying to come up with another one here. You, we have we have YouTube Red, Disney Plus, uh, YouTube what? Red still a thing. Yeah, I don't think they have I don't think they have much original content anymore, but it is still a thing. I promise you. So you have all these streaming platforms, you still have the movies, you still have theaters, and you still have cable. I know cable's not what it used to be, but it's still there. (laughs) So you have the access to whatever content you want. Everything is now available at your fingertips. Everywhere, all at once. I, I, I feel like because we have that, it's diluted something like 
you would see from Back to the Future, to where it was made in 1985. You had to see it via VHS or in theaters, and then it would be on DVD. You know what I mean? There was something about, like, it's finite, to whereas now content is unlimited, it feels like. And that goes to this. Like, I love making these podcasts. I do. I'm willing to do this as long as I can. But there's an endless amount of podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. So and when I'm going like, yeah, they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah, but also, as much as I can shit on Hollywood, and I think they deserve it for a lot. Yeah, but you're never going to get back there. Just because of the reality of the situation. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like a weird conversation I just went on there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I feel like I feel like when we talk about old, the old stuff, you're going to have to mention like how the new has um, influenced it. It's like or how like um, the new has changed with it and everything. And a lot of times it's like you want to say, oh, but the, it's like change is good and everything. But it's like you can't always just say change is good. Changes doesn't automatically mean good. You have to say what has changed and how it truly has affected. Otherwise, you're kind of just diluting the good that you get in your that you good that you get. Back to the Future is one of those things where it's like it is a time capsule. It could not be made today, but it's like it's still like something you love to see. It's still like something you love to see. You um, you see how things you see how things have changed. And Back to the Future in itself inspires you to see how things have changed. It's like it's a movie about you going back to the past. And seeing how your parents were, seeing how the world was, seeing how the slang was different. So, of course, like, in a review of Back to the Future, it's like, trying to avoid talking about the past just doesn't feel like you're actually talking about the, the, uh, talking about the movie if you're not talking about how things have changed. So, yeah. All right, let's get out of here, man. Let's talk about... What we're working on and where can people find us? Drew, what you're working on, where can people find you? You can find me on my so- on my socials. I am on Instagram and Twitter X. By the way, thank you for uh, the Twitter X, Taylor. You can find me at Drew Garrison underscore. Why are you thanking me for the Twitter X? Because you're the one that uh, gave me the idea, if I recall. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That was a few weeks. Oh, man, that was a lifetime ago. <laughs> It was last year, literally. Literally. <laughs> but uh literally it was last year. As for where you can find me, you can find me in our Discord link for which is in the description of this very episode. Please consider leaving us a rating. It would be tremendous if it was a positive rating. If you want to hear more from us at TNS Network, we have a video game podcast called Power Up and Game, where we talk about the latest in the world of gaming. We also have Lombox Hunters, a comic book podcast from Tristan and Drew. Drew, you want to tell us a little bit about Lombox? Well, it's two nerds hidden by a radioactive comic book, and now they're forced to share their opinions on a podcast uh, where they they may or may not invite other people to help share their opinions. And they are the Lombox Hunters. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da. Look, that's an it's an amazing podcast, but that sounds like the worst superhero origin of all time. <laughs> I didn't say we were superheroes. I said we were podcasters. 
that <sighs> it's not a superpower. <laughs> like I feel like you're setting up for a superpower ability. Being oh, podcasters no, no, no. is not one. Oh, no, no, no. If I had the superpower ability, my superpower ability would be to jump into jump in and out of fictional worlds because I would totally be jumping in to my favorite comic books and just have a have a bucket of popcorn and just watch the fights up close. I'd rather go to Gotham. I'd rather go to the world of Lord of the Rings. I'd rather go literally anywhere except for the Witcher universe. Uh, the Witcher universe is amazing when you're playing The Witcher 3. It's like, oh man, this is so immersive. You love playing as Geralt. You're like, I'm slaying some monsters and I'm get, drinking my potions. If you are in that world, it's fucking terrifying. You can go out and say you're a farmer. Saying like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go check the cows. You can just go check the fucking cows and see how they're doing, get attacked by a fucking ghost and die. But because of the way you died, now you become a ghost too. Yeah. This is the way your life could end up in The Witcher. Like, this is the worst, by far, world to ever be in. <sighs> I know one worse world, but that is for another day. Alright, it's for another day, I guess. We'll figure out that day soon, maybe. But, uh, next week on Nerds Top Movies, I actually do not know what the episode's gonna be, because, full disclosure, we were gonna have a Dune 2021 episode. Stuff happened. We're doing this one instead. We might be doing Dune 2021. We might be doing Avatar The Last Airbender Season 1. We don't know, but there will be a new episode of Nerd Stop Movies next week. And we'll see you then.